is happening to the surface of the planet Earth and to the living systems here in the Central Valley of California. I am Pegasus, your host for Peril and Promise, KCBP's half-hour weekly show regarding environmental injustice and human recovery from health hazards in California. In every episode of Peril and Promise, you'll hear about important environmental issues which are intertwined with our physical and mental health. Everyone in the Central Valley of California is impacted by the stories you'll hear in Peril and Promise. Today on Peril and Promise, we have Peter Dreckmeyer of the Tuolumne River Trust, founded in 1981 to honor the life of the river, which has been a gift to humanity since time immemorial. Peter will explain what, why, and how his organization is doing works of loving kindness for the sake of the river and the creatures that call it home, that depend on it for a good balance of life. Here's a telephonic recording from which we can learn how to honor and protect this vital California river. Can you tell us more about the Tuolumne River Trust, Peter? Sure. Um, our organization was founded in 1981 at a time when more dams were proposed for the Tuolumne. And in 1984, we secured wild and scenic status from the federal government for the upper 83 miles. So the river above Don Pedro Reservoir is now protected from the new dams and development along the banks. And since then, we've grown into a watershed-wide organization there's been a lot of work in the Grimfire Burn area, um, helping to restore it and to create better forest management policies there to prevent such megafires in the future. And we do a lot of organizing in the Central Valley, Modesto area, with communities along the river. Many of them are underserved. Uh, we do a lot of river restoration and cleanups and or working to try to improve flows to bring back uh, the salmon run, which historically numbered well over 100,000. This past year we had just over 2,000. Wait, so the numbers again on the, the salmon run, you're saying that at some points in human history there were over 100,000 and now it's just 2,000? Can you give when the data was first collected? What century was that? Well, there were a lot of projections of what the historic numbers were um, the LaGrange Dam was built in 1893, so it's been there for a long time. There are stories from back then of, of salmon piling up uh, in front of that dam trying to get up to their historic spawning ground. Uh, so we know that there was a huge population. There was a study done by scientists, a little biologist, that predicted uh, well over 100,000. And as recently as 1944, there were 130,000 salmon counted in Tuolumne. So uh, we have very good records, probably for the last 70 years or so. And after Nidon Pedro was completed in 1971, we've seen a pretty dramatic decline in salmon. I see. The new Don Pedro Dam of 1971 decimated the salmon's life cycle. When there are big water years, like 82 and 83, uh, that flushes out the juvenile salmon. They live in the ocean for about two and a half years and then come back to spawn. And in 1985, we had a, a peak of 40,000. Uh, the people will remember 97, 98, another big water year. 
in the 18,000 salmon come back. Um, but in the last 10 years, the numbers have been in the low thousands, and some years even in the hundreds. So we've seen a really dramatic decline. And historically, the Tuolumne had one of the biggest salmon runs in the Central Valley, um, but it's also seen the biggest decline of all the major rivers. That's really interesting. Are there other rivers in the state that also have a trust the way that your organization is set up? Well, every river should have a friend of group. Unfortunately, many don't. Um, probably the group most similar to ours is a group called Circle that's up on the Yuba River. And they're very focused on that watershed, just as we are. And then there are some statewide groups like Friends of the River and a number of other organizations we partner with on issues uh, that address all of our rivers. And some of those issues are state issues and some are federal. Why is there even a need for the River Trust? Um, because, like, what are the threats? Um, who, what, what are the other interests in society, in the world, um, with businesses or with civilians? Why is there a need to have your organization? The um, Hetch Hetchy Reservoir is on the Tuolumne in Yosemite National Park, and that is owned and operated by the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, and it provides water for 2.7 million people in the Bay Area. And then downstream is the Don Pedro Reservoir, which is much larger than Hetch Hetchy, and it provides water for over 200,000 acres of agricultural land in San Joaquin Valley. And we're taking so much water out of the river that in an average year, only about 20% of its natural flow reaches its confluence with the San Joaquin River. So that's created a dramatic change in the ecosystem. It's changed the river from a fast-flowing cold river to a slow-moving warm stream. And that favors non-native species that involved in those conditions. So we're seeing more bats and other uh, non-native species, including plants like water hyacinths during the drought, which is clogged miles and miles with the clone. And what we really need is higher flows. Uh, what that does is it cools the temperature of the water and favors non-native species that need that colder water. It also inundates floodplains. And um, those are the areas along the river just off the main channel. And that's prime habitat for baby salmon. They can escape predators there and also there's a lot more food. So they get bigger and when it's time for them to out-migrate to the ocean, they have a better chance of surviving. So flows also affect uh, the concentration of pollutants, um, the amount of salt oxygen in the water. Flows uh, need to be adequate for adult salmon to come up the river to spawn and to push the baby salmon out. So that's been a real challenge of low flows in the lower wall. Understood. Okay. If you're just joining us, I am Pegasus, and I am on the phone with Peter Dreckmeyer as he teaches me about the amazing Tuolumne River. He just told us that the Tuolumne River water, which is harvested at the Hetch Hetchy Dam, is for almost 3 million humans in the Bay Area. And the new Don Pedro Dam's water is for 200,000 agricultural acres. As many of our listeners already know, the Tuolumne River starts in the Sierra Nevadas, roams through Modesto, and joins the San Joaquin River. And as Peter pointed out, human management of this river has led to a slower, warmer river, and the main strategy for helping restore salmon and other flora and fauna indigenous to this region along the river is to bring back a swifter flowing river that ends up being cooler. We'll be back in a few seconds after a quick break. 
Welcome back to Peril and Promise. Here's more of my recorded interview with Peter Dreckmeyer of the Tuolumne River Trust. Before the break, Peter, we were talking about salmon, um, and we were also talking about the water temperature. Can you uh, explain a little bit more about the water temperature? Yeah, so temperature is really critical to the native species like salmon and steelhead trout. Um, what it does is it um, provides them with the habitat that they've evolved to depend on, and the river is a lot warmer, and that tends to favor non-native species like bass that evolved in warm water conditions. So they have a competitive advantage over the native species. And what we've found is when the flows are higher and the water is cooler, the bass can't reproduce, and it gives the native species an advantage. So we have much better returns of salmon when they come back from the ocean. Okay, thanks. If you could uh, enumerate or articulate what the different interests are politically, uh, socially, environmentally, um, outside of the Tuolumne River Trust and your mission, who are you in, in, in conversation with regarding um, the goals of the Tuolumne River Trust? Mm-hmm. Well, we work closely with the commercial salmon fishing industry. They depend on healthy watersheds for lots of fish out in the ocean. Uh, we also work with tribal groups and with a lot of communities in the Tuolumne River watershed. We do organizing in the airport and West Modesto neighborhoods. So these are neighborhoods right along the river that are underserved and we work to improve parks and make sure they have safe access to that recreation. And up in in the upper watershed, we're working closely with a lot of different interests, including logging and ranching and the um, outfitters for rafting trips to make sure it's a healthy ecosystem. Uh, There was a really nice story after the rim fire the Forest Service was proposing an immense amount of salvage logging. And through the Yosemite Stanislaus Solutions, which is a a coalition of different interests, uh, we reached an agreement to encourage the National Park Service to reduce the amount of salvage logging by two-thirds. Down logs are important. The standing snags are important. And we took that to the Forest Service, and it made their decision really easy. They basically embraced it. Now, what the loggers stood to gain was there was still enough wood to keep all of the local mills busy. And their concern was if there were a lot of lawsuits, then it would take a lot of time before they could get in there to salvage that wood. So it worked out really well. And since then, we've received about $10 million of grants to uh, help restore the forest working together doing some controlled burns, and uh, focusing on better management of forests so that we don't have so much biomass down on the the beds and small trees that burn quickly um, to try to prevent future megafires like the Rim Fire in 2013. Thank you for explaining how um, the the work that you do could help uh, mitigate uh, the wildfire destruction that happens. And you mentioned the, the millions of dollars that went to help with the, the logging. Can you explain the, the source of that money? Uh, that was mostly grants uh, from different state agencies that are very interested in forests in a way that they'll be healthy enough to withstand small fires and won't kindle the large fires that get out of control and burn vast amounts. The Rim Fire burned 400 square miles. Uh, so that was a huge fire, the largest one in the Sierra. 
Mm-hmm. And the year of the Rim Fire? 2013. And um, how widespread is your organization? I know you're at an office in San Francisco. I know here in Modesto we have an office. Are there other offices? How many people do you have working? We also have an office in Sonora, so three offices. And there are 10 of us on staff. And then we have hundreds of volunteers and other supporters. Well, that's great. How many miles long is the, um, the Tuolumne River? The Tuolumne is about 156 miles. It starts high in the Sierra um, at Mount Lyle, which is the largest peak in Yosemite, over 13,000 feet above sea level. And it drains the northern half of Yosemite, perhaps our most iconic national park. And then it flows through the Grand Canyon of the Tuolumne, 18 miles, which is some of the best rafting in the country. It's an amazing river to get on and experience the rapids and camp along the beaches at night. Uh, Then it flows into Don Pedro Reservoir, and a lot of that water is used for agriculture. And then below that is LaGrange Dam, about two miles down. And below LaGrange Dam is where we still have salmon and steelhead. They can make it up that far. Mm-hmm. What's, the eleva- what, what's the elevation there at LaGrange? I don't remember oh. exactly what the elevation is. The lower part, kind of the transition between the foothills and the valley. Thanks. I think it would be considered the valley, but it's right there at the transition. Got it. Now below LaGrange, there's still a beautiful stretch of river. It's, we do a lot of canoe trips there. In early November, we do canoeing with the salmon. So as they're coming up, we greet them as we're heading down. And... As, the, as you get into the more urbanized areas of the Central Valley, um, you start seeing more degradation, uh, a lot of garbage and other problems. There's a wonderful person in Modesto named Chris Guptill who started a project called 9 to 99. So um, cleaning up a stretch of about a mile uh, in the Modesto area. And to date, uh, it's organized 58 cleanups with about 3,500 volunteers and removed 494 tons of garbage. So there's a noticeable difference in that stretch. That's also the area where last year we removed uh, Dennett Dam, which was a small dam but very lethal. Um, A couple of kids died there about 10 years ago. And it also blocked, made it harder for the salmon to get up. And it took a long time. There was no agency that wanted to take ownership of it because they didn't want to get sued. But we convinced the city of Modesto to partner with us, and they were great partners. And we raised the funding to do the environmental studies and then to eventually remove it. So that was the wonderful celebration. The mayor and others uh, floated down the river with us once it was free. And now salmon have a much easier time getting to the uh, upper parts of the river where they spawn. Got it. Okay. I don't, I, I'm a vegetarian, so I don't uh, eat fish. I'm just wondering, are the salmon, are you guys mostly protecting them for their sake of their population? Or is there a lot of uh, harvesting of salmon so people can eat them? Well, there is still um, an active commercial uh, fishing industry, um, mostly out of San Francisco and Half Moon Bay. Um, but ocean, uh, salmon provide a huge benefit to the whole ecosystem. So I consider it a salmon-based ecosystem because they live out in the ocean for about two and a half years where there's plenty of food. They get nice and big, and when it's time for them to spawn, they stop eating, and they'll come back to the very same river where they were born. They can actually smell the river. And the female will lay about 5,000 eggs, 
and the male will fertilize them, and then they die. And their carcasses become food for all sorts of different animals, and all those nutrients from the ocean come to the upland habitats and even help fertilize you know, forests and meadows and agricultural lands. And most of those 5,000 eggs are eaten by other species, so they're an important, important part of the food web. Most of the baby salmon are eaten, and most of the adult salmon are eaten. So uh, they're really a critical food source for so many creatures. Over 100 species depend on salmon. And being this conduit of nutrients from the ocean to the upland habitats has been really key to keeping those ecosystems healthy. That's amazing. I've, I, I remember hearing something about that years ago in school, but it's just great to have that re-articulated and the explanation of how the, the salmon are inoculating the, the mountains, basically, or the other lands exactly, that are not on the coast. Right. Yeah, there was, a, there was some researchers a number of years back doing uh, boar samples of old-growth trees that were far from the coast, and they found this isotope that is only in the ocean. And what they figured is that you know, the salmon were playing such a key role in getting nutrients from the ocean to these upland forests and fertilizing them and keeping them healthy. So uh, it's just an amazing species. And, you know, we can harvest half of them, and still, if they have healthy spawning grounds, uh, they'll come back in, in full abundance. So it's an amazing species that provides so much when we make sure that they have healthy places to live. What about um, other pollutions? I, I, I don't know if there was in the 1970s or before that, if, if the logging industry or any other industry was causing more pollution in the river that's been cleaned up? Well, a huge problem was mining uh, for gold. And what they would do is do hydraulic mining, where they kind of blast away with water the sides of the riverbanks. And so you had this huge sediment load going into the river and filling in the gravel, which really needs to be clean for the salmon to create their reds there, or the little nests where they lay their eggs. And so it, that had a huge impact on the river. But also, um, you know, chemicals from fertilizers and pesticides used in agriculture. Um, there were some heavy metals getting into the river, and that's been a problem. The lower river is listed as impaired under the Clean Water Act. And again, when we have higher flows, that dilutes the pollution and it's less of a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, in some ways, you know, the river is rebounding from all that mining so long ago. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, there are new threats and water for urban uses and for agriculture has really had, had a big impact on the river. As I mentioned earlier, only 20% of the natural flow makes it all the way down the river in an average year. And so we've seen a real transition uh, in, the, in the habitat and the species that live there. The salmon are just a fraction of their historic runs. And the state and federal government have a goal of doubling the number of salmon that were in the river between 1967 and 1991. This was a decision made back in the 90s. And so the goal for the Tuolumne is 38,000 salmon. This year we had just over 2,000. So there's a lot of work to be done. Okay, Peter Dreckmeyer, we'll take a tiny musical break and be right back to talk more about the Tuolumne River Trust.
Welcome back to Peril and Promise, where today we are hearing from Peter Dreckmeyer the intriguing story of a creature roaming through Modesto and beyond. It's the Tuolumne River. Before the break, Peter told us about the ancient salmon-based ecosystem of this river and human efforts to reverse human damage in this river ecosystem. The question I have now is, in addition to the restoration of speed and temperature for this river, what other agenda items does the Tuolumne River Trust face in the near future? Well, there's also the relicensing of Don Pedro Dam. <clears throat> That's um, a federal issue. And that's also looking at different habitat improvements and, and maybe some changes in the flow regime. Um, some things that we all agree on, that the water agencies and environmentalists um, all agree on, uh, putting more gravel in the spawning areas. The dam blocks gravel from coming down, and that's created a real shortage. Um, it also, the dams block uh, large logs from coming down, and they're an important part of the habitat. So installing more uh, logs in that section for, for habitat for fish and other species will be important. And restoring the banks, planting uh, trees and, and other uh, vegetation that keep the water cooler and also um, provide habitat for insects that in turn feed the fish. We had a major victory back in 2012 when we purchased 1,600 acres at the confluence of the Tuolumne and San Joaquin Rivers. That area is called Dos Rios. And now it's being restored to wildlife habitat. Eventually there will be a, a nature center. We often will invite the public to come and plant with us there. And it's amazing how the vegetation is coming back just in the last seven years. We're seeing a huge difference. In 2017, which was the really big water year, um, being at Dos Rios and looking at the San Joaquin felt almost like looking across the bay. It was, you know, all the floodplains were activated, and Dos Rios has uh, a lot of floodplain habitat there. So we also really want people to learn more about their river. It's such an incredible resource for Modesto and surrounding communities, but is often overlooked. So we have an event coming up called the Rec Fest, Modesto Rec Fest, and that's going to be on Saturday, March 21st from 10 to 3 at Gateway Park there in downtown near the 9th Street Bridge. And that's an opportunity for people to come out and go boating with us. There will be fishing uh, lessons. There will be bicycling and hiking, bird watching, kite flying, all sorts of activities. And we've been doing that for the last couple of years. It's been really popular, so we encourage people to join us for that. And that's called RecFest? That's R-E-C-Fest? Yeah, Modesto RecFest. Um, so that's a great way for people to enjoy, to be involved through enjoying the river and appreciating it. And it, earlier you mentioned um, more than 50 cleanups last year. These cleanup activities happen regularly each year as well? Yeah, once a month. And actually, Chris Guptill, who organizes that, the way he got introduced to the river is he got a kayak and started paddling on the river and saw, wow, we have this incredible resource and he'd float past all this garbage and said, well, you know, something's got to be done. So he started organizing these cleanups, and if people want to learn more about that, they can check out the website, which is Operation, and then the number 9 dash, the number 2 dash, the number 99, 9299. 
Great. And what about uh, the website or any other way that people can get in contact with you and your organization, the Tuolumne River Trust, so that they can participate in any one of these things, whether it's planting on the, on the banks or cleanups or the, the canoeing, you know, the event at RecFest. Is there a, a catch-all website for people to find these things? Yes, our website is tuolumne.org. Normally I need to spell out Tuolumne, but I think most of your listeners will know how to spell it. People can sign up for our email list. So we'll let them know about different activities. Um, there's a calendar there and a lot of information on the different issues that we focus on. So I encourage people to visit that. And again, that website for any newcomers in this bioregion is T-U-O-L-U-M-N-E.org. And one final question um, about the, uh, the the language, the Tuolumne County, Tuolumne River. That's uh, the original peoples of this land. Is that the Miwok? Uh, Miwok and Yokut. Uh, Tuolumne is uh, an indigenous word. Some people think it means rock dwellings. Others think it means steep cliffs. So the, the name's been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then Hechechi, which was a valley until it was dammed for the Hechechi Reservoir, um, is named after the grasses that grew there that were provided oh. edible seed. And so the native people would spend uh, a lot of time there when the food was abundant. Thank you. Thanks again for your time today, Peter. Great to be with you, Pegasus. Thank you for your wonderful service. Yes. Here on KCBP's Environmental Justice Radio program, Peril and Promise, we often have time at the end of the show for updates on prior issues we've covered in past episodes of Peril and Promise. Today, the update I'm offering is the good news of the Poor People's Campaign. Half a century ago, the campaign was initiated by Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and then the campaign died with him. And it was resurrected three years ago in at least 30 states where folks went to state capitals for nonviolent direct action to bring lawmakers to awareness of the three issues Martin Luther King fought for, plus the new issue of environmental justice. The Poor People's Campaign is mobilizing this year, 2020, for an April event in Washington, D.C. Local chapters, including ours in Los Angeles and Sacramento, are still active locally, but the mass convergence is scheduled for April. You can get more information on the Poor People's Campaign here in California by emailing california at poorpeoplescampaign.org. That's all one word, poorpeoplescampaign.org. been listening to Peril and Promise, KCBP's half-hour show regarding environmental injustice and human recovery from health hazards in California. More information on today's show can be found at kcbpradio.org. This show is hosted by Pegasus and produced by the Peace Life Center of Modesto. Thank you for tuning in to Peril and Promise here on KCBP 95.5 FM. Our theme music of Peril and Promise is a performance by Alzara Getz of Dorothy's Melting.